0: Sometimes it's really hard to be patient. You ever feel that? And partly I blame modern technology because I feel like all of modern technology is helping make things faster. I'll give you a few examples. We were watching the Olympics these past couple of weeks, like I'm sure many of you were, and something happened at the Olympics that our kids are not used to happening, and that is commercials played. And so as the commercial would play, they'd be like, what's going on? What is this? Get back to the games. Even our two and a half year old, she would turn to me and she'd say, why this, what this, why this, what this? Because even she knew that this is not the game. This is not the sport. This is not the thing that we're actually playing. But everything they watch is streaming. Everything they watch is online. Everything they watch has zero commercials. It just goes from thing to thing to thing. And so they haven't learned what we learned, the patience of sitting through a commercial It also happens with with other things. You think of deliveries. I'm kind of a prime snob. I'm gonna be honest with you. And so if I'm ordering something online and I look at the delivery and it takes a week, I'm like, a week? I mean, come on. I'm not gonna wait a week for whatever product I'm buying. I'm clicking that prime button. Unless you can get it to me in two days, I don't want it. I I don't care how far away it's coming from. Two days. That's as long as I'll give you. Yesterday, my son and I we went out to the backyard. We'd gone to Top Golf the day before, and every kid, after they go to Top Golf, they decide they're Tiger Woods. And so we go into the backyard. He gets out his clubs, he's got some wiffle balls, and he, he starts swinging, and I'm, I'm trying to show him the right stance and the right posture. Now, I'm not very good at golf in the first place, but I can at least show him that you're not supposed to swing it like a baseball bat. And so I'm working on posture, working, and so he's swinging, he probably hits about 15 balls, none of them really perfect, like they're all kind of going all over the place. And after about 15 swings, he looks up at me and he says, man, this is hard. I said, Yeah. And he said, all right, I'm going to go inside. Now, if I was a better dad, I would have been like, hey, son, listen, sometimes life is hard and we got to push through those moments. We got to keep going. But it's August and it is really hot outside and it's humid. And so I was just like, yep, OK, sounds good. Let's, uh, let's go back inside. You see, in life, we face difficult times. And when we face that tension of difficult times, what we want to do is we wanna microwave it. We wanna just get past it. We wanna just get through it. And there are certain things that you can microwave. Minute rice, I mean, maybe you're a rice snob, but for me, minute rice tastes about the exact same thing out of a microwave as it does anywhere else. But there are other things that you cannot microwave. Like I've never heard of somebody that they're describing their way that they do brisket. Guys are really into brisket. Like they talk about for, I'm not, I'm not a, a smoker guy. And so when, when people are talking, I'm just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, you do you, man. But people will talk for hours about how they have the right wood and the right charcoal and the right rub and the right seasoning. And, and I, I was checking my brisket at 2 a.m. in the morning. I've never heard somebody say, yeah, I just, I just stick the brisket in the microwave, turn it on. Boom, done. Like, this is not the proper way to cook it. If you tried to do that, it would turn out awful. But that's what we do in life. We face difficult times. We face challenging times. And we want to microwave it. We want to move past it. We want to just ignore it. But there are certain things that you can't microwave. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to James chapter 1. We're going to look at just four verses, 1 through 4. This is what it says. We're going to read the whole thing, then we'll go back and kind of pick it apart verse by verse. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and complete not lacking anything. That very first phrase he says is James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is really have nothing to do with perseverance, which is what we're gonna focus on the rest of the time. Is it just extra credit, a side note? In the first century, when, when they'd write a letter, they'd start with their name and then give their credentials. So it would be like, Kurt, and now let me tell you why I'm important and you should pay attention to what I'm about to say. And so James The author of this letter was the brother of Jesus, the half brother. And so there's a tendency that you'd think that he would just write, James, Jesus was my brother, so listen up. But when we see throughout the New Testament, this is a common theme that that Paul, when he writes Romans, when he writes Philippians, when he writes Titus, the first thing that he says is he says, Paul, comma, a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, Now, if I'm if I'm Paul, I might want to write, Paul, I just raised a dude from the dead. Listen up. Like that, in my mind, is what you'd want to, to have everybody pay attention to, but that's, that's not what they say. Second Peter, Jude, they all start with this terminology of their name and then the identifying factor of their life, who they are. What's more important than anything else is to say a servant of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on in verse two. He says, consider it pure joy. If you're someone who underlines or circles, take that word consider, underline it. That word consider is a financial term, meaning to evaluate or to consciously recognize. He's saying, stop when you encounter trials of many kinds. He says, stop, consider it, evaluate it consciously recognize what's going on. Don't microwave it. Don't just try and move past it, but look at the situation. Look at the circumstance in which you find yourself. Then he says, consider it pure joy. Now, he's not a masochist. He's not saying when something bad happens, you just need to revel in the misery and the pain. Oh, my dog died so good, I love it. Like That's not what James is talking about. He's saying that the perspective that you should have, that when you consider it and evaluate it, that you should be able to look at it through a lens that recognizes that God is using this in your life for something, for a purpose. So evaluate it, consider it pure joy. Then he says, whenever you face trials of many kinds. If you're someone who underlines, underline whenever. That word whenever doesn't say if you face trials of many kinds. It says whenever you face trials of many kinds. In Greek, there's a lot of different word pictures that they use. And so the the Greek context here is this picture of to plunge into something, to fall into a trap or to fall into a trip. To to fall into something that now you're surrounded by it. So this picture is that at some point in life, If you aren't currently going through difficult times, if you aren't currently facing tremendous pressure, sorrow, grief, pain, it's saying that you will. At some point, it won't just be a gradual thing, it'll be this bam moment where all of a sudden you wake up and you find yourself a place that you didn't expect to find yourself. And that's what happens in life. We all have that five-year plan the 20-year plan, these are the things that I wanna do, these are the things that I wanna accomplish. But at some point, life happens. If you can go back and think in your junior high mind or even your elementary school mind of what you thought was gonna happen in life, chances are that life now looks different than you thought it was going to then. I thought I was gonna be the greatest basketball player of all time. Turns out, I'm not. Sometimes our expectations are different than our reality. We're all just a moment away from life drastically changing forever. We're all just a phone call away. That your health in a moment, in an appointment, after a test could turn drastically different. That a loved one that you know or that you have could be gone instantaneously. That your job, your career could disappear, dry up tomorrow. Your finances. You could all of a sudden be destitute. When when everything looked great one moment, something could happen that just absolutely financially ruins your life. A relationship that you've got. They could walk out the door tomorrow. You end up divorced. You never thought that you'd find yourself there and yet you find yourself there. And so when those moments in life happen, what do we do? Not if those moments happen, But when those moments happen, when we're going straight and everything feels great, and then all of a sudden we fall flat on our face, we're surrounded by a circumstance we didn't expect. I would venture to say that the last year and a half, there have been a lot of things that have happened to you and I that we didn't anticipate, we didn't expect. And now the question is, so what? He says, evaluate, consider it, but consider it joy. And then verse three, it says, because. It's an important word in this whole paragraph. He doesn't say, consider it pure joy, end the story. No, he says, consider it pure joy. And then he explains why our perspective, when we evaluate it the right way, should be that of pure joy. It's because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now faith in the first century, it's trust. Like you and I think of faith. We think of putting our faith into something as trusting something. But in a Jewish mind, it's a little bit deeper than that. It was both trust and fidelity or trust and commitment. It was this relationship. And so he's saying that when we go through those challenging times, we go through those difficult times, that we consider it pure joy because God is using those trials using that sorrow, using that pain in order to help us have more faith, more trust, more fidelity, more commitment. A relationship that goes through challenging times does one of two things, always. If you're in a marriage or a relationship with somebody and you go through a really challenging time, either that relationship, because of that challenging time, you will move apart from each other or that that relationship because of that challenging time will end up growing deeper together. That that challenge, that obstacle became something that helped solidify that commitment even stronger than it was before. James is saying that that same thing happens with our faith. That when we go through difficult times, if we can have the right perspective, that our faith can be strengthened as a result of that pain. Then he uses this word perseverance. It's a fascinating Greek word. In Greek, it's hippomone. Now, it's this picture of per, perseverance or steadfastness or patience. You'll see different translations that use all those different words in different places. Endurance. But the actual word, it's two different words. It's hippo and meno, which hippo is underneath, and the meno is to stay. So the, the, the picture, the visual here, is that you have this heavy burden, this heavy weight, this boulder, so to speak, that you're lifting up above your head, you've got it on your back, you're carrying it. And it's saying instead of dropping it and moving out, that you're staying underneath this burden. So this perseverance, this endurance, is that you're carrying this burden and instead of trying to microwave it, instead of just trying to get out of it, you're carrying it, you're holding it. You're in it for the long haul. Then it says perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's some joy there. Verse four, that word finish, that it does eventually come to an end. Now, finish does not mean that the pain or sorrow completely goes away. Finish does not mean that whatever struggle, whatever you're facing, that it's just over and done with and it's never there. It's saying that whatever that struggle is, whatever that pain is, you'll come to a place, not that it's done and over and never there again, but you grow to where it becomes a part of you and that you can have a healthy understanding and respect of what it is. Grief is very much that way. When we face grief in life, Loss of a loved one, loss of something that's really important or valuable to you. In the initial stages, it's just so, so painful. And that grief never completely goes away. It's like this open wound. But at some point in life, through perseverance, you can come to a place, even though you never believe it in the moment, you can come to a place, not where that wound is gone, not where the grief is over and done with, but you've learned to live with it. You've learned to keep pressing forward, to keep persevering in spite of that pain. And then it says, so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mature and complete, it could be one of two kind of word pictures. One is it could be talking about in the Old Testament when they made a sacrifice. In order to make a sacrifice to God, that it needed to be mature and complete, meaning that it needed to be a sacrifice that was worthwhile, that, that it's set there's these certain expectations. And so if you were making a sacrifice, you couldn't just take the leftovers, but you had to take the first fruits. And so if it was a sacrifice that was to the level of excellence required for that sacrifice, it was mature and complete. So it could be that what he's saying is that when we go through trials, when we go through difficulties, God uses those things in our life in such a way that it helps engage our faith and grow our faith in such a way that it brings us to where we can be these living sacrifices before God, mature and complete. Now, other scholars would say that it's actually a military term. And so the picture is a soldier, a soldier that's gone through the training, a soldier that's gone through the schooling, they have their mind ready, They've put on all the attire, they've put on all of the armor, they've got their weapons training and now they're prepared for battle. That when we go through difficult times, it prepares us for life and for what's next, but only when we do it the right way. It's interesting how often when you look at scripture, and the truth of scripture, there is secular research that comes along that is really making the exact same point. There's a, a great TED talk by a lady named Dr. Lucy Hone, and she talks about three strategies to be resilient. She is a researcher, she's a psychologist, and so she studied people that had gone through pain, through suffering, through hard times. And she found in the research, what were those characteristics of someone that was successful, someone that came through it on the other side and thrived in spite of what they had been through. And so she had three different things that she said, okay, these are the three strategies to be resilient based upon all the research that I saw. Number one was that resilient people get that suffering is a part of life. It's exactly what James said. No matter who you are, either you're suffering now or at some point you will suffer saint augustine said god had one son on earth without sin but never one without suffering even jesus went through tremendous suffering we all face suffering sometimes when we are going through suffering we have this mindset of no one has ever experienced what i'm going through no one could ever fathom this burden that i'm carrying And yes, there's some truth to that, that all pain is individual. Your circumstances are unique to you. But deep, deep pain is something that everybody at some point goes through. Pain is a part of life. Number two, resilient people are careful where they focus their attention. See, here's what happens sometimes when we go through difficult times, is we start to focus all of our attention on the what could be that you think this last year and a half, that it was so easy to start focusing not on what was right in front of us, but focus on what could happen. What if I go to a place and this happens? And what if then this happens? And you can spend all of your time focused on the worst case scenario of your life, but it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't help fix the problem. It just raises anxiety levels. That's what the textbook understanding of anxiety, when you have anxiety, the part of your brain that's lighting up is the same part of your brain that lights up when you're scared. So if you're, it's dark at night and you hear a spooky noise, that part of the brain that lights up because you're scared, you're like, I don't know what that is, it's freaking me out. That's the same part of the brain that lights up with anxiety. But the difference is anxiety, there's no real threat in front of you. It's a, it's a mental calculation of thinking about a potential threat and so your your body starts to respond in the same way that your body responds when you're scared of something we can live in this state of fear of what could be what could be what could be but what she's saying which is echoing what James said is instead of focusing on that no no consider evaluate take a step back look at what 's going on come up with the path that moves forward and then number three. She says, resilient people ask themselves, is what I'm doing helping or harming me? Think about this. Sometimes you're going through pain, you're going through a difficult time, and what you want to do is just wallow in it. Now early on, that's especially in grief, that's what's going to happen. You're just trying to get through the next hour, and then trying to get through the next day. But at some point, you get to a place where you've got to start to focus on, okay, what can I do to help? What can I do to move forward? So, so like put it in perspective. Think about a, a big breakup. Someone goes through a really big breakup, and one of the natural habits that people go through is that they will start looking at social media of their ex and just focus all their attention on what's going on in their life. And that doesn't help. Like, that doesn't help you move forward. All that does is it really is just bringing back up the pain and back up the pain and back up the pain. And you can spend months, if not years, if not a lifetime, looking back at something you have no control over, you can't change, and you can't fix. Instead, it's about asking that question of, what can I do to move forward? What can I do that helps? You see, the tendency that we have, the temptation that we have when things get hard is we want to quit. We want to stop. We hit resistance, and we want to just tap out. In 1955, there was a guy named Harland, and Harland was 65 years old, and he encountered tragedy. You see, he owned a restaurant, and his restaurant happened to be right where they were putting a highway and so they built a highway right on top of his restaurant and they didn't put an exit to his restaurant and so at the age of 65 he realized that his life savings his life's work his retirement all gone he gets his first social security check is for about $100 and he realizes I can't live off $100 so the only thing he really felt like he had that had any value was a chicken recipe so he takes his chicken recipe and he comes up with this idea that he was going to make his chicken. He was going to go to a restaurant and he was going to say, hey, try my chicken. And if you will sell my chicken, you just give me a small cut of the profits and then we'll have a great exchange. And so he makes his chicken recipe. He goes to the first restaurant. First restaurant, of course, says no. So he goes to the second one, the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one. On the 19th restaurant, after 18 no's, do you know what they said at the 19th restaurant? They said no to. So he kept going. (laughs) A year later, over 500 rejections. Over 500 restaurants have said, no, we're not interested. Get out the door. On the 562nd restaurant, he makes his chicken. He goes in. He has them taste it. Do you know what they say? They say no (laughs) to. Two years. 1009 rejections. Now pause for a second. It just... Just let's be real. If you were ejected 1,009 times over the course of two years, would you give up? Because I'll be honest, I'm probably giving up at some point. At some point, I'm like, you know, maybe my chick is not as good as I thought it was. <laughs> at some point in there, well before 1,009, I am giving up. And yet, Harlan didn't give up. So on the 1,010th restaurant, they said yes which had to have been pretty surprising to him at that point. I mean, after 1009, and then once he got one, he got another, and then another, and then another. And what started in Kentucky spread across our country because Harlan Colonel Sanders was the founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And nine years after he lost everything, he sold Kentucky Fried Chicken for $2 million, which today would be about $20 million. When we hit failure, when we hit rejection, when we hit difficulty, what we naturally want to do is quit. What we naturally want to do is stop. When we have pain, what we want to do is microwave it, get past it, move through it. What James is saying is that we need to take a step back. We need to evaluate. We need to recognize that God wants to use it in our life for God's glory and for our good. That doesn't mean that thing is good. Doesn't mean that 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 death in your life that you're like, oh man, that's that's such a, a good thing. No, what God is saying is that he can use that for your good, meaning he can use that in a way that makes your life fuller and deeper, makes your faith and your commitment so much more than it ever was before. See the reality of our lives is that everything else we put our trust into can be gone like that. You're a phone call away from your health being gone or that loved one being gone or your career being gone or your money being gone. Everything that we rise up and oftentimes think are the most important things in our life, they can disappear. But the one thing that can never be taken away from you is your faith, your trust in Jesus. When you face difficult times, not if, but when you face difficult times, what happens? What do you do? Where do you go? Watching the Olympics, it's always exciting to watch them get up on the podium. It's always exciting to to watch them get the gold And there's a part of you that's like, yeah, I could do that, you know? But what we don't ever recognize is all the pain, all the challenge, all the difficulty leading up to that moment. Angela Duckworth in her book, Grit, which is an amazing book, she writes, science shows that grit, the sustained application of effort towards a long-term goal is the biggest predictor of lifelong achievement. She's saying it's when you face challenges, or failures, or obstacles, and instead of quitting, you continue to move forward, that that more than anything else, far more than talent, is what indicates whether or not you'll be successful. And we've all experienced that in one way or another. Think about going to the gym. Like you go to the gym and you work out really hard and you go home and you go look in the mirror and you're like, all right, what did it do? How am I different? Do these look bigger? Do I look thinner? But it doesn't work that way. One day, it's not that it's insignificant, it's that one day by itself doesn't do much. It's the sustained, persistent growth over days and weeks and months and years. And every time you want to quit, every time you want to just move past it, it's pursuing perseverance. It's carrying the burden and moving forward.